Amen. Wow, thank you for a great time of worship tonight, and what a wonderful reminder of God's love to us. I am uh, thrilled to be here with you tonight, and to be able to to be here and be a part of Broadmoor Night. It's Broadmoor Night, right? Um, we had to come all the way here to Ruston and Temple to meet each other. Broadmoor Night, and it's apparently Bald Guy Night. Um, um, some of you got the memo, some of you didn't, Brother Reggie. Um, anyway, uh, make fun of bald guys, read about Elijah, you know, he, or Elisha, he was bald, and um, some people were making fun of him, and he uh, called down a curse, and uh, the boys that did that were mauled by a bear, and so, you know, just say what you want to, bring it on. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it is great to be with you at Temple Baptist in Ruston, and to be with your pastor, Reggie, thank you for the, the privilege to be here and uh, to share with with all of you. This church has um, been a blessing to my life through the years. I had the privilege to be here two years ago and shared a little bit during that time just what this church's presence means on the interstate. Um, As a kid, we drove um, through this. uh, We lived in Texas, and we would go back to Mississippi and driving back and forth, I would, always, I would always know we were about halfway when we got uh, to, to Ruston, and, um, and I just always remember this church and watched it through the years, and my dad had the privilege to preach here years ago, and uh, just knew, it, uh, knew about it, and knew that there were a group of people that loved God, that were serving Him faithfully, and uh, through the years, I've always just had a, a special um, place in my heart um, when I've passed by. And then when uh, my good friend, Dr. Barjan, uh, came to be pastor here, I uh, felt that much closer to you. And, um, and uh, John Ann, uh, they, they uh, have blessed my life in so many ways. And Dr. Barjan taught me so much about God's Word. How to love it how to study it, how to teach it, preach it. And I was with you um, when we say goodbye in this room. I had not intended to talk about that, but I want to thank you for how you loved him and how you continued to love John Ann and Will. And John Ann, I'm really sorry for starting like this, for crying. Where are you, John Ann? I know. She, she knows me, and she came anyway tonight, and I really appreciate that. Um, I always told Rick, uh, he was a great professor, but she was a great person. <clears throat> and there's a big difference. <laughs> but what a blessing you guys have been. And so thank you for the privilege to be here. And now your pastor and getting to meet his wife tonight and um, their kids and knowing how God continues to work is just a privilege to be here tonight. And uh, thank you not only for your presence, but how you are investing in, um, in people and developing disciples and the continuity of that and the consistency of that um, at Broadmoor you guys have sent us some wonderful leaders, um, and we are very grateful for that. Phil McMichael, who while in college, you guys let um, serve on your staff as an intern. He's now one of our youth pastors, and um, it, I think he said he lived in the church, which doesn't surprise me. That guy, there's no telling, but, uh, but uh, he, he loves this church, and you invested in him, and one of our 
new deacons this year, Adam Barham. Um, what a blessing he is. Coming back from a mission trip today um, in a church plant that we're connected with. And uh, you, you guys have just invested in us by investing in them. And I want to thank you for that. That's a real privilege. And if any of the, anybody else would like to move over to Madison, Brother Reggie said, we're tired of seeing people move to Madison. Uh, we'd love to have you, though. Anyway, it is great to be a part of the church with a big C. Um, we see the local uh, expressions of that in so many different places in so many different ways. But to see how God is at work and to know that we're all on the same team, we're part of the same mission, is such a blessing. And tonight we're going to talk about, I think your core value you're focusing on is a, the authoritative truth of God. What a great reminder to us in this world where it seems like there's shifting sand and the truth is always uh, in many people's minds relative to be reminded that there is an authoritative truth. Jesus, when he spoke, the Bible says that, that he, he marveled, the, cloud, the crowds marveled at him because he spoke not as the other teachers, but he spoke with one who had authority. What he said had the ring of truth. And authoritative truth is not just uh, something that's a powerful reality. It's a personal reality because we know as Jesus Christ is our Savior and the Lord of our life, that as He speaks to us, that His Word is not only something that is contained in, in the Bible, we know that He continues to take the Word of God as He has revealed it to us, but through the Holy Spirit, He continues to speak into our life today. He continues to say things to us and lead us and guide us. And we spend time in worship and we spend time both in corporate worship and Isaiah hearing a voice from the Lord. We have times in private worship where the Lord speaks to us and we know that He has said, let's take a step. Trust me in this. And sometimes it's in truth of what is right and wrong. Sometimes it's between what is good and bad, but many times it's for the believer what is good and what is best. And the authoritative Word of God that comes to every one of us and reminds us that we're not just guessing in life. We are following. And that Jesus is the Lord of our life, and He is the guide of our life, and He is the one that we are following. So tonight, I, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that is um, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, and a story where we see authoritative truth in a beautiful way. N not just in a, a, a sense of a kind of dogmatic, maybe, statement of faith, but... but authoritative truth as it comes to someone and they acted on it and they experienced it. I am, uh, by the way, as you're looking, if you have your Bible, Matthew 14, um, I'm glad tonight to have my wife here. Um, she doesn't always get to, to travel with me and I'm always glad when she does. Our anniversary is this week and uh, we will be married 21 years uh, on Thursday, and so I'm very grateful that she's with me, and I said, baby, let's celebrate in beautiful Ruston, Louisiana, and uh, so actually we're not even going to get to stay, but uh, at least we got to drive over and spend some time talking, but uh, as I was thinking about 21 years, um, it, it's, it's a significant milestone in a moment, and I thought of a story 
of a man who had been married 50 years, and they were asking him, how do, how, do you stay, how do you stay married for 50 years? It's a great question to ask, um, not only to stay married, but to love being married. But, but they asked him, how do you stay married? And he said, well, it's all about knowing who's in charge. Yeah, he did. He did go there. And he said, um, you know, in our marriage, we know who's in charge. And they said, Really? He said, yeah, it happened. It was really on our honeymoon trip. We were on a trip and we went to the Grand Canyon and we were there and we, were, we did one of these tours and we, we rented one of the, the, the mules that you get on and you ride down and you ride down and, um, and, and he said, I was on one, she was on another. And so um, they, they were on the way down and the mule that his wife was riding, his, his bride, brand new bride, um, it stumbled and she got off and she looked it in the eye, held it by the ears and looked it in the eye and said, you have three opportunities, three chances. That's once. He thought, well, that's strange. Well, they went on a little further into the canyon. They got down to the bottom, almost made it all the way to the, the bottom. And, and, and wouldn't you believe the mule stumbled again? She got off the mule. She walked to the front of the mule. She took it by the ears, looked it in the eye and said, that's twice. Well, he didn't really know what to think of that. Forgot about it. They spent a few days down in the bottom of the canyon. And then they went back up and they got to almost to the top. And the mule hadn't stumbled another time. But the mule got to the very top. And, and wouldn't you know, at the very end of the journey, he stumbled again. And his wife got off of the mule. She grabbed it by the ears and she said, that's three times. And she took out a gun and she shot the mule dead right there. Well, he was amazed. He didn't know what to say. Not only that, the tour guide was saying, hey, you know how much that cost. But he, he, was, he went over to her and he said, honey, you can't, what are you doing? And she grabbed him by the ears and she looked him in the eyes. She said, that's once. He said, you know, you just got to know who's in charge in your marriage. That's not my marriage, though my wife is Kimandria, uh, and if I say it quickly, it sounds like Commander, and I may uh, be in trouble on the way home tonight, but, uh, but it is such a blessing to know that, that in our lives, whether it's in marriage or business or wherever you are involved, you need to know ultimately what is the authority. And so tonight, let's look at this passage of Scripture. It's an interesting passage. Jesus, and let me just give you the setting in Matthew 14. The setting, Jesus has had a really hard day. It's Monday. I know we're in church and we've had an opportunity to worship, but some of you have had a really hard day. And, and I want you to know, Jesus knows what it's like to have a hard day. His day started, or at least in a season of time, He, he started and He received word that his cousin and forerunner in ministry, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And he's trying to grieve that moment. He's lost in what that means to, to not only the, the mission, but him personally. And he's grieving. And even as he's trying to grieve, all of a sudden people start showing up. They're this crowd of people, they start gathering around. And, and not only did they gather around, they wanted to hear Him teach. So Jesus began to teach them, but it was about time to eat. And no one, they began to look around and say, does anybody have any food? And His disciples said no. And they're kind of looking at Him like, you brought them out here, Jesus. 
And you remember the whole story. And Jesus ends up feeding the 5,000. And his, his, his disciples are kind of slow in that whole process. They don't get the whole thing. But they end up taking up 12 basketfuls that are full. And, and, and Jesus has, again, expended enormous energy in both teaching the crowds, mer- managing His personal feelings, and ministering to His disciples. And then it says where we're going to begin reading in, in Matthew 14, verse 22. It says, Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Literally, it says there, I am. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, and almost, I think Peter shouted that, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began, uh, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were with, uh, those who were in the boat, the disciples, they worshipped Him, saying, truly, truly, you are the Son of God. Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that You would be among us as You already have in worship. I pray, Lord, that You would bring Your authoritative truth and Your Word to our lives, both powerfully and personally. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want you to see in this story a few things about uh, in this setting. We've seen the setting that Jesus... The kind of day he had, but I want you to see that. I want you to see first of all the storm. You know, storms come in our life. I bet if I were to walk around and just talk to to you tonight and say, "How many of you are in a storm?" I bet there were a lot of you that would say, "Yeah, I'm in a storm." Or, Or some of you may have said, "You know, I've just come through a storm. Oh, not physically or literally." But it's been a storm. Maybe it was a diagnosis. Maybe it was a rupture in a relationship or a difficulty at work. Or maybe you lost your job. Uh, probably every one of us, we're, we've either been through a storm, about to go into a storm, or we've just come through a storm. And there was a storm. Storms come in life. There, I think there are a number of reasons there are storms. There are storms sometimes because we're out of the will of God. 
Because we're, we're, we're running away from what God has wanted us to do. Jonah, I think about Jonah the prophet. I spent all summer last summer with Jonah the prophet. And, and Jonah was one that, that ran from God. God said, go this way, and Jonah went that way. And, and the Bible says literally that God hurled a storm at Jonah. And that was just the beginning. But sometimes when we're outside of the will of God, I believe God is going to get our attention and say, hey, I want you to come back to me. And so He gets our attention sometimes by storms. Sometimes, though, we, we go through storms just because storms exist. Jesus said it rains on the just and the unjust. There are bad things that happen to good people. And there are difficult times that come in life. And often... Often, the enemy may be thrusting those at us, and yet God is using them while the enemy may be trying to destroy us. God is using them to test us. And then there are times like this story where the storms come because the disciples are right where they were supposed to be. They were in the boat that Jesus had just put them in. And so as they, were, as they were there, they weren't outside of the will of God. They weren't rebelling from God. They were, though, in a moment where God was preparing them to learn more about who He was. They were in the boat. And the storm came. And as we watch this story, if you read Mark's gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all share this story. They want to make sure it was apparently important to all three of them. And all three of them give a little bit different perspective. Mark's gospel is the one that says that Jesus, while the storms began to, to rock the boat, and while the disciples were in the boat, that, that Jesus saw them. If you've ever been in a storm, you may be tempted to think that God has forgotten you. This summer, I had some friends and we had a prayer time right before our service and I was thinking about all my friends that were going to be in worship that day at our church or in another church um, in our state. And, and I was just thinking about all the storms. Somebody's house had burned down. Someone had lost a job. Someone had a son that was in addiction, uh, that was trapped in an addiction, and was, it seemed like he was running further and further from God. And I thought about my friends who were going through a divorce that we have prayed for and we have wept over. And all of these storms that come in life, my friend that had lost a job, and, and as we were praying, I was just overwhelmed to think about all of the storms that we walk through. And tonight you may be going through a storm. The storms always bring, I want you to see a second thing, because it's important when an authoritative truth from God comes, it's important that you see the storm is there, but the storm was one reality, but the struggle was the real reality that the disciples were facing. What do we do? Maybe they were angry at Jesus. Maybe they were looking at each other going, we should have never gotten in this boat. Why did He put us in this boat? Why are we here? Somebody do something. The struggles. This summer, um, Steve and Melinda Hendricks, you wouldn't know them, but Steve's an attorney, was the chairman of deacons in our church um, last year. 
Melinda works with our women's ministry. They are a godly couple, two sons that um, they have raised that are godly young men, one in medical school, one just about to start dental school. And about three weeks ago, at six o'clock in the morning, their second son died in a motorcycle accident. The knock came on the door. Miss Hendricks, Mr. Hendricks. And as the day unfolded and the morning unfolded, we realized that Tate was no longer here. He was with the Lord. And I was talking with Steve and Melinda Sunday after church and talked with them throughout the last several weeks as they have walked through this loss. And over and over again, they have just talked about the struggle. They both love Jesus. People say, oh, you're going to get over it. And they say, we don't want to get over it. We want to feel this struggle. Because the more we feel the struggle, and here's what I want you to see next. The Savior. As the disciples are struggling, all of a sudden they, they, they have this presence and it scares them at first. They don't know what to think about it. It's a ghost. Nobody's ever walked on water before. And it's Jesus. He's walking on the very thing that has frightened them the most, the waves and the wind that are, 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 are threatening them. He comes walking on top of that, showing His Lordship and His authority and His strength. And as He comes to them, He speaks to them. First they say, it's a ghost. And He says, And I love what Jesus says. He he says, first of all, take courage. Four things he says. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then come. I love that. He says, take courage. That word is a beautiful word in the Greek language. It means to bolster within, to show courage without. It's the idea of so being warmed within that you shine on the outside. And he says, hey guys, tap into what I've given you in your life. Take courage right now. He reminds us that our Savior in that moment, His strengthening power. He is willing to fill us with His strength within us so that we can show the world on the outside the courage. Take courage. His strengthening power. The second thing that I see is though, He says, it is I. Or literally, I am. If you're a student of, of the New Testament, you, you know there were times that Jesus, uh, He made these statements and always in the Greek, it's ego in me. It, it is I am. It's an intensive form. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus saying I am. It's the same. It, it reflects in the Greek what the name that God had given, the covenant name in the Old Testament. I am who I am. And Jesus comes walking on the water and He says, hey, take courage. I, I want you to know as your Savior, I have strengthening power. But, but then he says, I am. And it reminds me there of his sovereignty. That he's over everything. I am who I am. And then we see the next statement. Don't be afraid. Authoritative truth. Take courage. I'm in charge. You don't have to be afraid. 
Someone has said there are 365 promises in the, in, in the Bible that say, don't be afraid. 365 times it says that. One promise and one reminder for every day of the year. Don't be afraid. Some days I get afraid. I look at what's happening between Israel and Hamas and I, I get afraid. I, I, I'm I'm frightened when I look at what's happening in our world and I look at what's happening with many times what's happening in our, our, the moral decay of our country and I think, what are my kids going to have to work through and walk through? I get afraid. And I need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Simon Peter, as he sees the Savior, he goes, I would rather be out there on the water, even though no one's ever done that, I would rather be out there on the water than in this boat with these clowns. And so he says, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come out here. And so Jesus says, and I love this, he says, come. Now this is not like, you know, Simon Peter the, la- the famous last words of a redneck. Hey, y'all, watch this. I mean, that, that's not what's happening here, okay? This is not, this is not a, a uh, reckless act. It's a step of faith. See, in the middle of our storms and the struggles that come, you'll always find your Savior inviting you to in the middle of where you are, in the middle of what you're doing, in the middle of what you're going through, you'll always find your Savior saying, I want you to take a step toward me. It's at that moment when you're in the boat and you don't know what to do and, and you, you, you really, you, you know that, as a friend of mine told me, you don't know that Jesus is all that, that, that you need until Jesus is all that you have. And that's where Simon Peter was. Jesus, if that's you, you tell me to come in authoritative truth right there in the Scripture, right there in the moment, Jesus says, come on. I wonder if Simon Peter thought about the other times Jesus had said, come to him when he said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I wonder if he thought about Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 when Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For my burden, my burden, my, my yoke is light. And my burden is something that will sustain you. And so he came. And he took a step. He stepped out on faith. John Ortberg wrote a little book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And I think about how many times Jesus, in the middle of our, of our heartbreaking, difficult moments and struggles of life, He wants to know if we'll trust Him to take a step. To take a step. You know what a step stands for? If I, uh, a few years ago I, I was just looking at this and I thought, you know, it always begins, uh, I read a quote, uh, a journey begins, uh, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And I thought, a, a lifetime of obedience with Jesus, it, it begins with a single step, but it is made up of step after step after step after step of obedience. And some of you, you, you somewhere along the line, Jesus wanted you to take a step And you thought to yourself, I'm not doing that. 
It may have been a year ago, it may have been ten years ago, or it may be one aspect of your life where, where you, maybe you're trapped in something. Maybe Jesus called you to go on a mission trip and you think, I'm not doing that. Maybe He called you to teach a life group or Sunday school class and you're like, ah. Maybe it's a coworker that you have that, that God's calling you to speak the gospel into their life because your preacher's never going to get an opportunity to speak to them, but you have an opportunity all the time. And Jesus is saying, just take a step. And what happens is when you won't take that step, you get stuck right there. Jesus said, I want you to obey me in purity. You don't take that step your life begins to be characterized by impurity. Jesus says, I want you to take that step of faithfulness and maybe it's your giving or maybe it's how you you spend the rest of the 90% of your your resources. And, and, And God says, just take a step. Trust me in this. But you get stuck. See, here's what a step is. We're doing acrostic. A step is a strategic test Exposing problems. But it's also a strategic test exposing possibilities. There was a problem with Simon Peter. He took a few steps and he was like, man, this is cool. This I mean, it's better than wakeboarding. You know, I mean, he is like, this is amazing. Look at what's happening. I'm walking on water and all of a sudden... He starts seeing the wind and the waves and takes his eyes off of Jesus. And then he sinks just like the nickname that Jesus had given him. He sunk like a rock. Anybody get that? Are y'all still with me? Okay. I always love that, that he sunk like a rock. But, uh, but, but he, when he began to sink, it was that moment that he cried out and he knows and he needs a word and he needs something beyond himself. And he cries out, Lord, save me. The shortest, bi- a shortest prayer in the Bible, but maybe the most effective. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately says, he just picks him up out of the water and they walk over and they get in the boat. Jesus says, you of little faith, I had you the whole time. But in that process, Simon Peter, we see that he had some problems in his life of trusting. See, this moment was not just a make or break moment. Jesus was working in his life to bring him along. He had greater plans for for, um, Peter than just to let him... Uh, just to, 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 uh, to rescue him from the boat. He was going to build his church on that kind of faith, on that kind of leadership. And God was working in his life. And he knew there were steps he had to take to understand him. Let me ask you this. Are there steps right now that Jesus is leading you to take? I look around this room and I think about, see some dads and maybe God's calling you to, be the spiritual leader of your home in a way that you've not done. Or maybe you have done, but but it's time to go to the next level. Commander and I talk about that all the time with our kids. We have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, almost 13. 
And, you know, we almost have three teenagers in our house, and I'm ready to move somewhere other than our house a lot of days. But we are praying that God help give us wisdom, your authoritative truth. Would you speak into our lives so that we would model how to walk in your ways and how to help them take the steps that they need to take to be the men and women of God that you want to raise them up to be. Maybe God's calling you to take a step tonight. Maybe to, to start a church in some place, corporately as a church. You would be a part of a church plant somewhere. Or maybe to go on a mission trip. I don't know how God's leading you, but I believe with His authoritative Word, when He speaks, you, here's how you know when He's speaking to you about it. It doesn't go away. You can't get away from it. I mean, some of you can turn a preacher off, right? I mean, some of you turned me off a long time ago. And, and you know, some of you are like, you, you can just kind of turn that off and tune it out and, you know, go to the next thing. But here's what you can never do when the authoritative truth of God comes to your life. You can never, never, never ignore it. You can disobey it. You can choose to reject it. You can embrace it and experience the fullness of His grace when you trust Him by faith, but you can never ignore it. And I'm so thankful that the Savior is the one that He comes to them, but, but He's so kind. I'm so glad Peter got out of the boat. And I'm so glad he sank because it reminds me that our Savior is not loving us because of our performance. Our Savior is loving us because of our deep need of Him. He knows we need Him. And so, they take steps and they get back in the boat. And when they had, when they had I love this, when they had Climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. We believe it now. Mark's Gospel says that after they had taken up the twelve baskets, leftovers of the loaves, that they didn't get it. It says that, in fact, Mark chapter 6, verse 45 says, they, they were completely amazed in this moment, for they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. They had been at one of the greatest miracles that ever happened, and yet their hearts had missed it. But now they got it, and they worshipped Him. Max Lucado describes it this way. He said it was a, a, miles, a marker moment in the life of the disciples and he writes as if he were a disciple that were there at that moment. He writes, it happened instantaneously. It didn't take the rest of the night. It didn't take an hour. It didn't take a minute. It happened in a blink. From chaos to calm. From panic to peace. The sky was so suddenly silent that I could hear my heart pounding. I thought I was dreaming. And then I saw the wide eyes of the others and I felt my clothing soaked against my skin. This was no dream. I looked at the water. I looked at Peter. I looked at the others. And then I looked at Him. And I did the only thing that I could have done. 
With the stars as my candles and the stilled boat as my altar, I fell at His feet and I worshipped. There are times in a person's life when even in the midst of them, you know you'll never be the same. Moments that forever serve as journey posts. This was one of them. I'd never seen Jesus as I'd saw Him then. I'd seen Him as powerful. I'd seen Him as wise. I'd witnessed His authority and marveled at His abilities. But what I witnessed that night, I know I'll never forget. I saw God. The God who can't sit still when the storm is too strong. The God who lets me get frightened enough to need Him and then comes close enough for me to see Him and to experience Him. The God who uses my storms as His path to come to me. I saw God. It took a storm for me to see Him. But I saw Him. And I'll never be the same. So grateful for how he wrote that beautiful picture, and I think he captures it well. See, when we experience not just the Word of God and the truth of God, but the presence of God in our life, and we are captivated by that moment, we will never, ever be the same. And we'll worship Him. We'll worship Him in moments like this, but we'll worship Him when things are difficult. Steve and Melinda, the morning they found out that Tate had gone to be with the Lord, their 26-year-old son, athletic, good-looking, all of those things. At that moment when they found out, Melinda looked to the heavens and she said, The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I was stunned. How could she do that? Because in the middle of her storm, she knew the Savior. Tonight, I want to invite you to trust the Lord in your storm. Maybe this message is not at all for you, but it's a friend at work or a co-worker or someone that you know that that needed desperately to be here tonight. and, And they weren't, but you are the messenger that God will use to go and share some of this truth with them. Would you go and share it? Or maybe tonight God just spoke to you. He spoke right into your life. And and tonight you need to take a step toward Him. I don't know what that looks like. I can't tell you exactly how to do that. Other than when you hear His voice and He says, come, you take a step toward Him, whatever that looks like. For some of you, for maybe the first place and the first step is to trust Him with your life. That Jesus has, you've never had a moment where you have trusted Him as your Savior and you've never made Him the Lord of your life. And tonight you would say, Lord Jesus, I want to take a step. I'm not in a storm. I'm not in a boat. But you've called me nonetheless. And I want to take a step of obedience to you. Some of you are believers and many of you, I'm sure, on a Monday night and gathered in this place And God is speaking to you about getting out of the boat and taking a step toward Him. I want to challenge you. When He says come, you be willing to take the step. Lord Jesus, thank You for this night. Thank You for this story in Your Word that is more than a story. It's a picture for us of 
of how you want us to live, to live in dependence on you, to live recognizing that when you speak that we can trust you and that when you um, call out to us that you have greater plans than we can imagine. God, I thank you for your word that reminds us of that. That you know the plans that you have for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope in a future. And tonight, God, I pray that as we come and we think about the fact that you have come here tonight, that your presence is in this place. And that you've come to speak to each one of us personally. You know everything about us. You know our anxious thoughts. You know our hurts. You know the challenges that we face. You know the sin in our life. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us and that you have come close to us and that you will speak into our lives. So we're listening. For some tonight, they've heard you speak clearly about an area of their life. I didn't say it, but your Holy Spirit said it clearly into their heart. And I pray that you give them courage tonight to trust you and to take that step. God, we uh, just ask that you would be with us in this time of decision, a time that uh, we can respond to you. For some, maybe in a public way. For many, in a private and very personal way. To say to you, Lord Jesus, this is what I heard you say to me tonight. And this is how I would respond. As we sing, Lord, we pray that the words that someone penned years ago might be the prayer of our hearts, that you would take our life and let it be consecrated to you completely. That we would worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand we're going to sing, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. As you stand, your pastor will be at the front. Others, um, I think other staff members are available as well. And as, uh, as we sing, if the Lord's led you tonight to make a decision, I would encourage you to take, out, uh, take that step to Him. Maybe tonight you want to encourage someone around you to just take a step to someone around you and thank them for what they've meant to you in your life. Maybe tonight you would want, want to go and just minister to someone and pray for them during this time of invitation. However the Lord leads you, take that step and trust Him.